Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the All Things Strength and Wellness Podcast. I am your host once again, Robbie Burke, and we are brought to you by upmentorship.com, one of the top strength and conditioning resources available online today. To get instant access to almost 20 hours of world-class online video strength and conditioning information, go to upmentorship.com and help support the show. This episode's guest, I'm delighted to bring Lee Taff back onto the show. Lee is a strength and conditioning coach who is highly regarded as one of the top multi-directional speed specialists around. On this episode, Lee and I discuss Lee's brand new product, Complete Speed Training, program design for multi-directional speed, Lee's philosophy when it comes to multi-directional speed development, subconscious learning of skill, Lee's experience at Exos's Phase 4 mentorship back in 2013 where he was a guest speaker, Lee's multi-directional speed instructor certification course that he recently just released this year and much more. This was a really great show guys and I hope you enjoy it. Okay coach Lee Taft it's an absolute pleasure to have you back on my show. You are actually the first guest who has ever been back on my podcast so uh, thanks a million for making the time today to come back. Um, I know that uh, there's a lot of uh, people who would have listened to our previous podcast which was episode 19 and I'll put that into the show notes but maybe Lee again just for people who didn't hear that episode just give us a brief intro and or not brief but as long as you want to be but just let the listeners know who you are. Alright thanks Rob. I appreciate uh, being back on as well. Um, well I'm a, I'm a long time coach um, you know I, I, I consider myself you know I Myself a coach from uh, every aspect of the word. I, you know, I, you can call yourself a strength coach or a sport coach, but the bottom line, what we all do is we, you know, we end up coaching athletes at some level. Um, so I started, you know, 25 years ago or so in the industry of of working with athletes. Um, I started out as a phys ed teacher, and on the side, started working with athletes. And over the years, I kind of Got into the business side of it a little bit. We ran some training facilities, owned a couple facilities, and um, along the along that path, I also did uh, uh, you know quite a bit of, of coaching as well in regards to sports. So I've been at, like I had basketball and football and track and and um, uh, you know so I was the, the neat thing about that was I was able to do um, you know use the, the training methods that I've learned over the years with an actual team that I have. And I think that uh, it was able to give me a lot of good feedback as to what type of uh, methods work best. Because I had athletes, you know, five, six days a week for, uh, you know, for a full year. I could get them off season, in season, and, and preseason, and, and kind of see the results. So, so you know, in a nutshell, that's really what I've done. I've been around a long time uh, in the industry, learning from a lot of great people like yourself, and just as uh I've kind of enjoyed the ride. You've definitely, you know, you, you've definitely sort of painted yourself as the multi-directional speed guy. And I know, like, that's there's a lot more to your coaching arsenal than just that. But I was just listening to your uh, podcast that you done with Mike Robertson, and I actually heard you talk about this before. But when people always ask you, you know, where did you learn like multi-directional speed? How did you come up with your philosophies? You know, and you kind of said a lot of it was nearly self-taught. You just kept watching video of all the great athletes. So you just maybe address for that with the listeners. I, I love hearing that story about like how you kind of came to a lot of your conclusions with some of the multi-directional speed stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, sharing this because I think it's a different path than most people take, uh, especially in today's day and age with uh, so much technology. But uh, back in the '80s, when I played uh, college athletics. 
continues to watch game film. And when I was watching game film, I started to pay more attention to how I was being guarded or I guarded someone or how I moved on the court and how other athletes moved. And it started to create a niche in me to learn more. And so I started to watch other top-level athletes, like I started to watch professional athletes, and even even before my time, um, some of the older athletes, and I watched how they moved. And the reason I did that, Robbie, is because I wanted to I wanted to see that um, the, the the movements that we innately have, you know, run across the board. It is just something that you know, one athlete in this sport only does it or because a coach taught him or her how to do it. I started to notice very similar patterns of how all these athletes were moving. So over time, I started to put together strategies and concepts based off laws of movement that I I started to realize that if everybody is doing those type of movements during this type of situation, so for example, if an athlete had to react really quick to a sudden, uh, maybe a, a sudden uh, movement by the offense or by the defense in their foot pattern, uh, naturally reacting the way it did, and I saw that happen time and time and time again, I started to realize we as coaches are better off just endorsing what we're seeing rather than trying to change something that has been put in our system forever as, as human beings. Mm. And I and I so as I started to research more I, I learned a little bit more about the nervous system and and uh, uh, the fight or flight uh, response that we have which drives a lot of our movements, you know, because we're either we're either gonna, you know, engage in battle or we're gonna run away from it. And that's that's sport. I'm either gonna try to get away from you and try to score or I'm going to try to run you down so you can't score. And, and in a nutshell, that's really how a lot of my training methods came. I watched, I kept seeing common movement patterns, and then I started to attach um, biomechanical uh, law, uh, concepts to it and, and um, strategies as well as laws of physics and movement. So that's really where it came from. So it's kind of neat how just watch athletes move. They'll teach us a lot. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, you speak about fight or flight and sort of that more sort of autonomic response because I think anyone that's sort of looked into Franz Bosch's work, Franz kind of has similar concepts, you know, he talks about those two control systems in terms of like how we learn and motor control and he says, you know, that like you kind of say there, we ne- we were nearly over coaching our athletes and then coaching our athletes out of things that were just natural and innate instead of letting that sort of subconscious uh, reflective movement kind of just express itself and then just let that be because one of the great things about you like uh, it was so funny i don't know if it was in a dvd or if i saw you present and you were just like i'm probably the laziest coach ever i don't coach i just watch movement and if i think something needs to be tweaked a little i'll do that but you know maybe just again touch into like do you feel then it's just that coaches they just like we're, we're too verbal we try and get too much into the into like uh the athlete's conscious mind rather than sort of kind of letting them kinesthetically feel the kind of subconscious movements that we're trying to to get them to do yeah that's such a great point and and um i was speaking this weekend with uh with a group of coaches and and the, uh, the drive home message i kept trying to to get through to them is i i realize when we get the title of a 
coach, our our um, ego starts to get in the way in terms of I'm going to coach and I'm going to coach the heck out of these athletes and I'm going to I'm going to you know say everything I have to say and coach every single move because that's that's the control fruit in coaches. We we want to make sure we're doing the very best for our athletes and in in our in our uh, process of learning as we become a coach or a teacher, it's we're always taught to, you know, keep giving more information. Yeah. And that's not necessarily uh, wrong um, in certain circumstances, but the problem is, as an athlete, when we're starting, when we're talking about multi-directional speed, we're talking about raw movement. Yeah. If you just watch little kids play, they figured it out. We didn't have to do anything. I have a, you know, I have uh, three children, 17 down to seven, and my seven-year-old, he goes out and plays with his neighbors. I didn't teach him a thing. He just went out and played and ran and threw the ball and jumped and did all that. Kind of, I, that wasn't something I had to teach him. Mm. But but now if I brought him into the weight room where now the skills that we're going to be learning are different, they're foreign to him. He hasn't been exposed to a lot of those movements. Now I have to use proper progression and teaching and cueing and make sure he, he understands um, uh, what he's going to do. But when it comes to the active or reflexive action, like I said, like we, we just talked about, fighter flight, those are things that we have naturally. Our job is to watch them and then just clean up the, the dysfunction that they might have with maybe poor arm action or body posture. But that's all wrapped inside this really nice, natural movement pattern that was given to us as humans. And yeah. so I think when we understand that, our coaching becomes so much more powerful by using fewer words, but more powerful words that actually matter to the athlete. So, for example, using like external uh, forms of cueing. Uh, to get an athlete to stay low. A lot of times all I do is I'll say, stay in the tunnel. If I say, stay in the tunnel, they immediately, they understand, I better I better get lower so I don't hit head going into this tunnel. <clears throat> and it gets my athletes where I want them. So I didn't have to coach. I all I had to do was say a couple words, and they understood it. And then as the move, I, I just, like I said, I clean up the mess. If there's a little bit of sloppiness, then we'll address that. So that's kind of how... I approached it and I think it's a much longer way of learning yeah you know that's, that's great so and I suppose you know Nick Winkleman out in Exos he's speaking so much over the last probably two maybe three or even more years about the idea of external cueing and I suppose it just goes back to as well like less is more you know the less you can have to cue or the less you have to say or less you have to move in at least probably the better you know it's all it nearly all seems that the best coaches are the ones that say the least yeah you know, Robert, what's funny is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now to, to, you know, obviously go back to the time when I was growing up and even in school, we didn't have a lot of people like us. You know, there wasn't a ton of, you know, sports performance facilities in, in our towns and that stuff all started to come over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, there was a few pockets of places or if we went to like, you know, Olympic training centers that might be in our country somewhere. Those were kind of distant from the average population. And so we look back over history and some of the phenomenal athletes that there have been, many of these athletes, they weren't really coached. So it was just natural 
ability to move and, and uh, genetic makeup. Um, if we look at some of the former um, um, world-class athletes in maybe soccer or, or basketball or tennis, you know, from around the world, they played their sport and they just played as kids and they grew up. And so what that tells me is we have this ability. What we've been able to do over the last so many years with all our technology is we've been able to make our athletes maybe a little, you know, obviously stronger, mm. which I'm not sure that we've always done a great job with that because sometimes we put the focus too much on strength and we've lost some of our, our um, fluidness. Um, but I think, you know, if we just watch what our athletes have done over history, we see that we've got it. We've already got it in us. We just need to let it go and stay a little bit less. And like you were saying with Nick, Nick does a great job of talking about uh, different forms of cueing, and as a as a phys ed teacher growing up, those are things that we learned. You know, I learned that 25 years ago or more. We learned those things to help in education, and now we can apply that to uh, sports performance as well. So Lee, you you recently were in Vancouver with your multi-directional speed instructor course. Maybe just touch on, you know, how this came about, why you felt the need to to you know to release this course. And kind of maybe fill in, uh, fill in the listeners with you know how can they find out more information about it, etc. Oh yeah, thank you for uh, mentioning that. Yeah, this was the first one this past weekend in Vancouver, and, and um, it's funny because I, I for a long time ago, um, you know, probably more than ten years ago, I was asked by a lot of uh, coaches if I ever thought of doing certification, and I never really did. And then um, I got involved with you know, doing a little certification several years ago with another organization, and, um, and, it, and it wasn't really the way that I wanted it. But I, I, I started, I, once I got away from that, I realized that there's just so many certifications out there. It wasn't something that I wanted to just jump into. But in the last, you know, couple of years, I've been getting a lot of requests again to do that, and people just wanting to understand my strategies and why I do things the way I do. So... Just for people keep asking, I said, you know, I think that the two main areas that I wanted to be able to help were, number one, were young college students or people coming out of universities that really didn't have any kind of credential or true understanding of multi-directional speed as it really should be instructed. Because as a, as a business owner, when I've had my facilities, I've had a lot of interest. And they really didn't have a great understanding of multi-directional speed. And so I wanted to afford these young, up-and-coming performance coaches with, number one, a credential they could put on their resume that might help them get a little head start. And number two, so they had a really good uh, groundwork and a good basis of what multi-directional speed is. And I think as a young, up-and-coming coach, I think that was a really good head start for them. And then the second reason is is to take coaches in general, whether it's an advanced coach or a, a, a newbie just getting into it, um, I wanted to help them uh, kind of discover what I've learned over the years and be able to apply this quickly with their athletes and see results. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, just a quick story, uh, Robbie. I, I got a text this morning from one of the guys that attended my course this weekend. And he's like, he goes, I can't believe it because I applied a couple of your acceleration strategies and it immediately cleaned up 
uh, might help it towards struggling on this acceleration. And a lot of it came down and what he was applying were a couple of the cueing strategies and other physical strategies that I say the body wants. It wants this feedback. You just got to give it to them and they understand it. And so to get that feeling, that's the reason I did it, is to be able to help athletes immediately get change and have the coaches be able to have that power to make that change. So, um, so that, was, that was why I did it. And then um, if people are interested, they can just go to uh, uh, speedcertification.com and they can learn about that. Or if they just went to even leetag.com, they could find it. But, um, but yeah, that's really why I did it. And I'm, I'm excited to be able to help uh, make some change. Yeah, and, and I'll put a link into the to the speedcertification.com so the guys can go there and uh, and they can click on it to find out more information. And I see on that, Lee, you have, uh, you've got like a host tab if someone wants to host, so we must try and get you to come over to Ireland and hopefully we, we can get the facility that, that you're looking for. I, I just, before you came on, I was like, clicked on it, I was like, and you were like, requirements, you know, two 200 square foot city. I was like, eh, we can get that. It was like, you know, near the airport, we can get that, you know what I'm saying? So it'd be great if we can get you over. But we'll uh, we'll talk about that sure after the show or in the future. Or we'll definitely sort it. We definitely have to bring you over to Europe. I mean, we, we've we've had Mike Boyle over. We've had Mike Robertson over. So it's it's time Lee Taft came over. I'd love to. Um. Also, Lee, recently with 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 uh, Pat's Pat Pat Rigsby, wasn't it? it was Pat Rigsby? You just no, it was Pat, oh Pat, Pat Beat. Beat. Sorry, excuse me, Pat Beat. Excuse me. Yeah, that's why I was I was just questioning myself, Pat Beat. You recently just released uh, complete speed training. Um, is this is this another um, updated version of ground speed ground breaking speed two? Is it a completely different product? Again, like why did you release it? What was the the thought process? Maybe just fill in the listeners on that. Yeah, you know, um, uh, several months ago, well, actually quite a while ago, um, I have been talking for a couple about redoing groundbreaking too, just to update with some new strategies and all. Mm. So it was just, it was very ironic how it happened is I get a call from Pat D, um, from Athletes Acceleration, who, who um, I've known for years, we've been good friends, and he, he uh, reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in, in doing um, good speed training. And I jumped on right off because I said, Pat, I was just thinking about redoing groundbreaking. And I, to me, it doesn't matter how I get the information out there. If it's my product or something else's, I just want to get it out there. So, so I joined forces with Pat, and um, and we put that product together. And it's, uh, it's a product that I'm really pleased with and proud of because we were able to give um, several different segments of the strategies that we use and put them in blocks so that coaches easily see progressions and then see how they can extend those progressions into even more exercises because we didn't give too much so that the coaches got confused but we gave a stop and we taught the coaches how they can take it and go beyond if they need to and we were able to touch on a lot of areas from various forms of acceleration and multi-directions um, top end speed, some conditioning components. We even did some strength and, and power. So it's a really in depth product that I think will help coaches kind of get a really good grasp of how they can train their athletes in all areas of uh, of speed development. Yeah, I see it here. You, you have, uh, you know, there's there's uh, five components plus a, a bonus. So you have your warm up. Um, and then you have your linear acceleration and you covered some top speed and then you went into some multi-direction with the lateral shuffle crossover some retreating drills then into your power and strength your conditioning and then I think the, the, the bonus material was the 
you know a bit of program design and, and ladder work so like it's a very complete product um, and it's really beautifully put together now so again like that'll be in the show notes I mean everyone's probably like a little sales pitch but like anyone that knows me knows I genuinely don't promote stuff that I don't believe in and anytime anytime someone asks me you know what's the best resource in multi-direction suite I'm just like Lee Taft you either go to Lee Taft or else you, you take one of the at least performance mentorships or Exos as they're called now and I'm like they're the two best resources out there and the fact that Exos don't really have any like DVDs or online stuff I was like just get Lee Taft's groundbreaking speed too that's the best material out there so uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I actually have it myself, Lee. Your new one. I just haven't got through it yet because I'm currently I'm trying to get through this Pasta Restoration Institute stuff. You know, you know, you know. It's like everything. It's like uh, when someone tells you about a book and you're like, I'll get to that book after I've read my ten books over here. <laughs> so, uh, but it, it's beautifully put together, and uh, I've I've just been kind of flicking through. The one thing I want to ask is, you, you cover top end speed, which I don't think I've ever seen it uh, cover before. If if I'm right in that, why why was that in this uh, product? Well, um, Pat B. His background is in uh, sprinting. He was a sprinter himself. He was a college-level sprinter. Mm. And the original complete speed that they did, they spent a lot of time on top-end mechanics and, and training methods. So um, and, and it's funny because I've, I've been a high school track coach and a private coach for other sprinters for a long time, but it just... You know, for years I always just stuck to the multi-directional speed because that's what people wanted from me. But in this product, we wanted to make sure, just like the title of it, that we were as complete as possible so we could give coaches of all areas that wanted top-end speed or if they wanted to change the direction, we could make sure we covered that. And I believe top-end speed, so sprinting basically, is something that every athlete should have a background in. Yeah. Now, as they get older, and they become more elite, I'm not sure that they have to spend as much time in it unless that's what they do. So, for example, if you get a, a high-level college a volleyball player, I'm not sure they have to do you know weeks and weeks and weeks of training of top-end sprint speed, mm. but I think it's good to revisit every now and again because I think it's just great for the body. I think sprinting is just a healthy thing for the body. Um, not to mention, we're, we're you know we've learned more about how it's really good for um, even just body composition and um, the different ways you can use it. But I think I think young athletes especially should learn how to run, should learn how to sprint, and then when we get into the more advanced um, athletes that actually are sprinters, uh, we give a good foundation of it. If they if if uh, coaches need to go deeper, certainly there's a lot of other good research out there. But it gives them a really good foundation on how they can train it and um, and some methods to use. So, you know, that's kind of why we did it. Great stuff. I, I mentioned uh, you know I mentioned Nick Winkman and I, I mentioned Exos. So my next question actually relates to Exos because there's a bit of a story to this for the listeners. Uh, back in August 2013, um, a very good friend of mine, Nicole Rodriguez, she, uh, she stayed with me for a week while she delivered their Phase 1 mentorship here in, in Dublin, Ireland. And Nicole was actually my boss when I was uh, at Mike Boy's Training Condition as an intern back in 2009. And we were talking, you know, over the few days, we were obviously talking back and forth. And Nicole's big thing, like, she loves multi-directional speed and she loves movement. I do with movement. You know, I know some guys, are, they're kind of they're Olympic lifting guy or they're a powerlifting guy or they're kind of a strength guy. Or some guys are energy systems. Some people like monitoring and, you know, uh, readiness of athletes. Like, her thing is just movement and multi-directional speed. So, you know, she was kind of saying, you know, who's, who's your resource? And again, I was like, you know, I was like really I've taken a lot of my stuff from Lee Taff like you know and we were talking about like the plyo step and 
you know, she was kind of showing me like the base position that they teach all their fundamental movements from and blah blah blah. But then she, uh, she a few weeks later, she's like, "Guess who I have coming to Atlee's performance to deliver a talk?" And I was like, "Who?" She's like, "Lee Taft." And I was like, "Ah, oh, I'd love to see that." So my question to you is like, how did you get on in in Exos and you know, did you discuss with the staff there and particularly Nicole like about your sort of you know the minutiae of multi-directional speed was there things that you thought they were doing better than you or was there things that you were doing that they thought was that you that they thought you were doing better than them like what was your whole experience of that lee oh yeah it was fun i was uh, nicole was awesome bringing me out there and she yeah. uh, you know and obviously she had mentioned you in in uh, in the past you know how you guys would <clears throat> work together and all so it was, it was a lot of fun um but the the the, the neat thing about uh going with exos is um one out there is they are very very professional yeah uh, i mean they just do things really well i mean you can see why they're as as big as they are and as strong as they are because when they're not doing things right eventually there's going to be cracks in the wall and you know the program's not gonna accelerate i mean they've done nothing but accelerate consistently since mark started years ago and it's because they do things really well, and they bring on great people, and Nicole being one of them, and obviously Nick, and, and all the others that have been involved. Um, but what was really neat is being able to share my uh, my thoughts and my strategies and have them be very open-minded and willing, but yet having their philosophy that may have been a little bit different, but yet being willing to listen to what we were doing. And it was funny because when, I, when we actually went out on the turf, and we did some strategies. Um, uh, some of our, some of our strategies that might have uh, been at different ends of the uh, uh, opinion. When I when I did some things and I showed them how I just base off natural movement and laws of movement that don't change. It's like I always bring up, you know, gravity hasn't changed in the last 25 years since I've been <laughs> strength coaching. Yeah, and that, yeah. It, it's yeah. still there. And I said so until those laws of I think we spoke about this in the, on the last podcast, um, but actually it was from actually watching your your new your news product, complete speed training. When I, I was just briefly kind of skimming through it again, and you know, it kind of brought up that thing again of the directional step and crossover. And I'm very much in your camp of things. Like my kind of thing, I always say to people is, listen, directional step and, and crossover. You know, they're they're situation dependent. You know, one's not right, one's not wrong. It just depends on the situation that's being presented to you. And your body will naturally use the strategy, depending again on the environment and the situation that you're in. But one drill that I constantly see being used 
is let's say you're in that athletic stance position or base position if you want to call it and coaches are teaching that you know to cross over push down with the outside edge of the foot and cross over whereas looking at your material you're always like no you would directional step out of that and then break into a crossover run if you had to keep your your face towards the you know if you had to keep your your upper body square towards the play while essentially you were running sideways and like I, I like your one makes more sense to me because anytime as you say if I just said that at least right just do this they would naturally do that directional step so yeah. like why do people still teach that like I, what I always say is that if you want me to essentially go from a, this position and then so if I'm like was facing newly face on face and we both had to turn to our right and just sprint in a linear direction we, we'd both do a directional step but I still see coaches teaching no 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 push down the outside edge of your foot and cross over I'm like nobody does that if you just leave them alone kind of like with the plyo step like why do people do that or like you know or is it completely wrong is there a time when anyone would do that naturally I just haven't seen it well, you know, and again, that, that's one of the strategies we, we spent a lot of time on this past week and many time I do a clinic because just yeah. like you said, that's, that's kind of a hot topic with different camps. Different camps teach a different way. But my thing is, like I've said, I, it's not me that invented how we want to move. I just endorse what we naturally do and it comes yeah. back to that, that, that nervous system and the fight or flight uh, mechanisms. And, if I'm, like you said, if I'm going to go to my right, but I'm going to my right because the reaction made me go that way, we are, hum- as a human, we like to quickly push our body in that direction. We're not designed to pull our body. We're mm-hmm. just not, that's not how we're built. Yeah, so the yeah. reaction is to find an angle to push off. So if I'm going to my right, that means my left leg moves my center of mass in that direction and it allows my front leg to prepare to do its job better. Yeah. And and what happens is uh, through through just you know years and years of clinical study, I noticed that the body really likes an external rotation, uh, an explosive quick external rotation when it starts, and that helps with the action reaction forces. So as I kept watching athletes, and I kept just putting them in situations, I never told them what I what I was looking for. I just put them in various situations. Every single time, and I can literally say, I mean, I'm as close to 100% on this um, than, than, you know, if it's not 98.999%, it's always that directional step that occurs naturally. And, and because I didn't feed the athlete the answer I wanted, it became natural. That's how I know. That's what the body wants. So mm. I think what happens, though, is because these people who teach it the other way were taught that from someone else and they didn't really question it and and that's my biggest message I'm always saying I said question it and see why because if if you're having a hard time getting an athlete to do what you're trying to teach then obviously you're fighting natural laws of movement you're fighting against what they really want to do you know they don't want to do that they want to do it a different way so that's that's my biggest thing is I think we we just coach it because we were taught that way rather than Sam, but that's not really how we want to move. So, and so yeah, that's a big one, but it's funny. Every time I have an athlete or a coach that disagrees with me on that, but I actually get them to try it, they immediately start shaking their head and saying, I can't believe I fought this for all these years. And I'm like, right, well, that's it. you got to just you gotta watch what athletes want and then base it off that. Yeah, like uh, it's funny. Only just recently I've kind of thought about another way to get the point across, and that was – if I was to do a, a rotational medicine ball throw with a step, so essentially, again, you're in your base position, 
and if I say to you, right, I want you to throw that ball off the wall and step with your near foot to the wall, essentially a directional step again, like, do that, boom, yeah, all right, that feels grand, feels natural. Now, do that again, doing the crossover maneuver. You, you wouldn't even be able to put, like, 10% of the force into the ball because you're, you're trying to produce force from that front side hip, which makes no sense, rather than pushing, as you said, with this. So if I'm going to my left this time, pushing off the medial edge of my right, directional stepping with my left and then get into a linear direction so just from a purely physics perspective it's just like this makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that's a great point so uh yeah i just wanted to you know kind of i think we spoke briefly about that in the last podcast but it's good to kind of just kind of clear it up again yeah. um in terms of this is another area that i really wanted to ask you about in terms of adding in reaction into multi-directional speed so a lot of the stuff we see Lee is very pre-planned you know going to this cone to that cone how do you have a progressive model then to add reaction in and then with reaction there's so many different types of it like in terms of I could give you a signal from in front I could give you a noise from in front I could give you a signal where I throw a ball from behind you so it's a different sort of stimulus or stuff like that and then also to just I always used to just say multi-directional speed as this all-encompassing word, but apparently agility means it's multi-directional speed plus that sort of reaction or reactive ability, whereas multi-directional speed just actually is more like a pre-planned speed direction. So I actually never knew that. I've read that in a few like Australian research papers. But just anyway, the question is in terms of adding in reactivity, like how do you eventually get that in? Like, uh, do you only start adding that in when you feel that the athlete obviously has a competent movement strategies at a pre-planned level and then what would be your progression you know um, i am really glad to ask that question because um you know this past weekend and then in, in several of the workshops that i've done over the years i it shocks people how my approach is is so much different than a lot of people because of mm. uh, what again they've been taught my basis of movement really comes off motor learning concepts and um, um, a very uh, random based approach versus a blocked approach. So I'm very random. And again, these are things that I learned way back in phys ed yeah, yeah. and we used to apply and then I've you know, been able to apply it to um, just you know teaching uh, speed. Yeah. And I, if you were to take a typical pyramid where the foundation is, you know, you know, a kind of a part method, you know, you build in the techniques like you were saying, and then by the time you get to the top, you get to reactionary. If you were to flip that upside down, that's my model. Yeah, my yeah. model is, I'm going to I'm gonna put you reactive right off. Here's why. Because that's what we naturally do. That's yeah. what athletes want. Yeah. We, if I take my seven-year-old son outside and we start playing tag, he's going to naturally react. It's very safe. So I'm never entering him into an exercise that's dangerous. That's rule number one. Brilliant. If, I, if it was a, if it was an event like I'm teaching pole vaulting in day one, I said I go here's a 15 foot fight go you know for pole vault. I would never do that because there's danger. But if I just said I want you to show me some very good reactionary cutting and agility, that's natural. That that's something you and I don't have to teach. They can do it naturally. What we do, and here's how my my, my systems and my strategies and progressions enter in, it's once you show me your limitations and your dysfunction in normal reactionary speed, now I get to the point of I get to the point of fixing those problems a lot quicker than most people because you just showed me what I have to do. You just showed me my progression. That's my assessment as where when people say, okay, we're going to start off on the first two weeks and we're only going to do 
lateral push off, and we're going to go one step at a time, and we're going to progress that. Well, how do you know the athlete has an issue there? Maybe they're really good at that, and you don't need it. Now, having said that, I will break things down in my warm-up just to get an athlete warm. That, I mean, I'm just simply trying to maybe emphasize a little bit of hip work or a little bit of, of um, you know, foot positioning that's safe, and, and I'm trying to get, get the athlete loosened up. But when it comes to actually training, I'm going to spend most of my time in the reactionary component because that's what my nervous system wants. It's thirsty for that. That's what I need. And then as you show me there's an area you're struggling, I can go right to it. I can put my corrective exercise in there, make that change quickly, and we're ready to go. I'm going to give an example of what I did this weekend that it was amazing, the, the kind of like the aha moment from a lot of these coaches is, I took two athletes, so say you and I are facing each other, and, 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 and it's funny because I did this with Nicole's group. This was one of the things that they immediately said, now I see why we, I do it that way. But we were facing each other, and I told, I told uh, the athletes, I want you to run away from each other, and you're going to run like five yards, five meters, and I want you to get there as quick as you can and try to beat the other person, and we'll tell you who wins. So what happened with this group this weekend, the two guys that went to turn, both of them formed what I would call a pivot. And they, they kind of, was a little bit sluggish. So I had them do it like three, four times, and each time they performed a pivot. And it's funny because the group kind of said, you know, they were kind of slow getting out of there. They got running pretty good, but they were slow in the initial reaction. So I immediately went to a strategy, which is called a quick hip exercise. And we got them to pop their hips around three, four times really quick. Yeah. Uh, it's part of the retreating uh, sequence that I use, or the hip hip turn sequence. Turn, yeah. They did it three or four times, then I immediately put them right back in there, and they did it, and they performed it the way that was most um, um, you know, quick, the quickest way to do it. And it was amazing how fast they changed. And that's what I was trying to tell the coaches. I said, I was able to figure out their dysfunction immediately because I put them in the whole reactive movement right off, they showed me where they lacked, um, uh, you know, had some limitations in their reactive ability, put, put a strategy in there, fixed it, and then they were good to go. Then they were great from that point on. So when you when you give the body what it wants, it'll show you what it needs. And that's kind of the way I do it. Yeah, I have to say that was a, an absolutely brilliant answer. And it, uh, it actually strikes home a little bit. I, I know you... you probably haven't heard of this gentleman but any of the Irish listeners uh, who are into Gaelic games may know there's a, there's a gentleman called uh, Mickey Whelan who, uh, who's a very famous GA coach here in Ireland and Mickey's in his 70s now but his whole research over the last number of years has been in this idea of motor learning and he did research on this sort of you know block versus randomised and uh, in terms of kids learning uh, you know, kids kind of learning the, the skills of Gaelic games, our traditional sports here, and he found that small sided games were just far out- outweighed anything in a block situation. So, again, going back to that like random environment, and then he said the same thing. He was like, No, if you put them in that random environment when they're young, you can actually see then like where they may be weak or whatever, like that, you know. 
and he was saying they just learn better too because it's again it goes back to this subconscious reflexive instinctive part of nature that humans already have whereas of course like more the more old school models no no they need to do loads of just drills and block based stuff and then like you know add in reaction stuff so it's very interesting that you know mickey who's done a lot of motor control yourself who's a phys ed teacher who learned motor control kind of completely reversed that pyramid the other way around and it just makes so much intuitive sense as you said there you know you can just put them in you saw an issue right a little quick drill here boom back in and it just kind of integrates that kind of isolation to integration model so it's it's really really interesting that's a great answer well you know I, I appreciate you mentioning that in, in the research that you've done because i'll tell you here's the other thing that there's two two areas on this is number one when you're dealing with younger athletes i mean younger kids um one of the things that they don't like nor most adults is just sitting and listening. Yeah. And sitting and listening to instruction. That that's just not what we want, especially when you're younger. They're you know they're like little bumblebees. They just want to move around. So what I learned a long time ago in phys ed is we were always taught this this certain way of teaching, and you know you, you each day you progress and go through. And, um, and, and it's funny because they, that's how they would teach us, but yet the research was showing us different, and they were teaching us the research. So it was kind of, kind of uh, you know, an opposite end of the spectrum. So what I started doing as a phys ed teacher, and this was, you know, this was way back about 20 to 25 years ago, is I would teach a particular unit or a skill, and I would use the whole method. I'd get it right into the game right off, and then I'd blow the whistle and stop and say, okay, Here's the skill that I want to see. Let's make sure we're introducing and, and that we're practicing this particular skill while we're playing. And I let it go right back to playing. And here's what I found, and this is what the research has is, is been showing us, is that every time an athlete does something and, and they have to figure it out, in other words, they have to come up with a solution, that ingrains that pattern much stronger, not because they redid the pattern, because they had to figure it out again. And that's where the strength and learning comes. So from a multi-directional speed or agility, reactive agility approach, those are the things that even though it may it may look a little sloppy at times, but that's the magic. That's where we actually get our athletes to be able to absorb and retain the information because they're figuring it out through kind of a muddy phase. It's a little bit muddy, it's murky, and then all of a sudden it becomes very clear and the water gets really clear and their movements are great. And that's the part that we as coaches struggle with because we want control. We want everything to look pretty. We want it to look really nice and neat lined. But that isn't really how it works as we develop. Now, there's nothing wrong with using block at times to be able to make sure the athlete at least has a baseline understanding. But as quickly as possible, we can get into that randomized approach. That's when the magic really happens, and um, I'm currently, I run a, a basketball uh, uh, program, and I have about 75 girls in this program now, and that's the approach we use, and it, at times it looks really messy, but we just keep getting better at a faster rate than a lot of the other uh, clubs around the area, simply because we're getting the athletes to be able to react and learn the stuff on their own much quicker and then the results are coming faster. So it's, it is. It's really it's pretty fascinating research on how the motor learning likes the random approach versus just the block. Yeah, yeah. Like, and there's so many variables and factors I'd say that go into like so. 
What I mean by that is, if you read anything sort of on mastery, the people who master things are the ones who are willing to kind of to stick it out. Because there is, when you kind of start going through a learning process, we notice like you, you, there's like that phase where you need a bit of humility, everything's a little bit clumsy. And that's where like there's that line, line, the line drawn between those who go on and master and those who kind of just stop and give up. So what I'm kind of saying here is what just as you were talking there, I remember the years ago. And again, sorry now for mentioning a, an Irish sport analogy, but like I love hurling. It's it's our traditional sport here. And I don't know if this is going to sound a bit weird, but I remember. So essentially, yeah, yeah, it's like a, a baseball bat. Um, kind of a thing and, and a, it's like a baseball bat and a baseball essentially and you can hit the ball off both sides both your left side and your right side so it's not like it's not like golf where you can only hit off one side and i remember like like most people who learn first they learn to be very strong on one side and weak on the other but i can remember then i start practicing my weak side and practice my weak side and instead of like hitting the same shot over i used to like hit all these types of different shots and i remember just one day i was sitting down i can remember this i was young and I said to myself, God, I feel like I could actually hit that ball really well right now. And I remember just going out and I just felt like, boom, and it clicked. And I got no coaching from no one, no nothing, but I just kind of just stuck, stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it, stuck with it. And it was kind of this randomized, you know, I was constantly just hitting the ball different ways, all different ways, instead of like just hitting it like the same way off a wall or, or I gave up. So, you know, it kind of seems that, you know, as you're saying, if you just leave the human alone, and if, if they stick it out long enough that they really want to master something, that that seems to be far better for skill acquisition. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and this, is the, this is the hardest hurdle for uh, coaches and strength coaches or performance coaches to get over is if you use a block method during practice and you get really good at it, it will look really good. It'll yeah. show well. It, testing it, it'll test better. It's, but it doesn't short transition term. Yeah. To, to actual performance better than, than the random. And that's the hard part because coaches are like, well, but look at my kids in practice. They're just, they're doing it so well. They're, you know, they're not missing or they're not making mistakes. But then when they go to play, because they weren't put in situations where they had to figure it out and come up with a solution, it doesn't transition as well. So those who learn the random actually maybe not don't look as well in practice but they they perform much better in actual live performance so you know, it's, that's the part. it's so true too because i've often seen people who technically are, are are very gifted at the sports skill so again if it was hurling or rugby or soccer or baseball or hockey like technically very skillful comparison to someone else but the, so, the the other person who might be technically as skillful so if they were just like you know say if it was um, I'm just trying to use American football, maybe, or but let's say maybe basketball. Like let's say one guy is just better at, at he's better at free throws than the other guy, or he's got better sort of technical hands, but right. the other guy is so much better at executing his skill that he has under pressure or just making a decision, or so he actually looks better on court. Whereas the guy who actually has maybe more skillful hands isn't because again as you say maybe he's done too much block and it's not carrying over then to performance even though he looks beautiful in all the training drills but his friend it, he has a more holistic uh, development because he did a lot more randomized um sort of development you know again and his skill acquisition then is better under those conditions exactly yep well said so yeah it's really it's so interesting like motor learning is an area that definitely on myself i need to to to, to learn or to to more more you know, brush my skills upon essentially 
Uh, I haven't got too much more left, Lee. Probably just one thing I've always kind of wanted to ask you too, and I know you have addressed this already in your in your talks and seminars and some of your products. In terms of just like program design for multi-directional speed, like if you're talking sort of sets, reps, total volumes, and also how do you break it up in your head? Are you kind of like right? I you know every day or every day it's multi-directional day. I want to make sure I cover a, a, a lateral shuffle. I want to make sure I cover a directional step or a hip turn. Like, do, do you have these checklists that you like to cover? Or again, is it just that you, and then like how, you know, you just spoke there as well that, you know, you're not a very like drill based guy. It's more like random and reactive. Like, so like how are you structuring your program essentially is what I'm trying to ask. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, uh, if I'm working in a, in an environment where I know I'm going to get the athletes multiple times a week, I'll have a, a specific emphasis on those uh, days. So if, um, if we're going to be putting an emphasis today on maybe some lateral component, we'll do some lateral training. And again, we'll make it fairly random. Um, we're certainly going to do some block to stop because we're just working on maybe some mechanical flaws that we have to clean up. Yeah. But we'll do, we'll do some work on... on um, a lateral work and that's our focus I'm very big when it comes to multi-directional speed when it comes to sets and reps I'm bigger on just giving a time frame so I might say okay I've got six minutes okay. or seven minutes to work on this lateral technique that I want to work on today so what I'll do is I'll create an environment where I can train that athlete and they're like maybe using some fake throws which is a strategy to control mass and momentum or some um resisted acceleration to work on force production and once I'm done with that six to seven minutes then I move on yeah. now if I were doing strength training or conditioning I am much more apt to follow the prescribed sets and reps and volume that I need to get a particular result but because agility or multi-directional speed is so nervous system based in respects to um, just reactive movement I don't have to put definite sets and reps. Um, I can use that, but I'm more likely to kind of break how many sets I said I was going to do because if the athlete is struggling or if they've done it really well, I'll move on to the next one quickly before I actually do the prescribed set. So if I said I'm going to do five sets of lateral shuffle, but my athlete's really struggling, I may end up doing seven, eight, nine because I'm trying to break them down and, and get them to feel better with it, work on some maybe a mobility issue with it. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of how I do it with multi-directional speed. I base it more off the time frame that I have. Now, <clears throat> maybe my next day that they come in, I might put a little more focus on linear acceleration, and we're going to work on reactive components for that so that I can see how they naturally react. And then maybe I want some force production out of them, so I may resist them, or I may use some assisted method that I talk about um, that can help an app come out. And again, I'm just going to keep coaching them and keep, you know, breaking down what needs to be broke down or or maybe um, um, uh, progressing what needs to be progressed versus regressing it if I, if I feel like they're doing it really well. So it's a little different than a lot of people do, but that's how I feel I get results pretty quickly because I give the athletes what they need rather than what I feel like I want to so that kind of helps me uh, move my athletes a little quicker. So it, just like to give an example, if you let's say had a four-day program, would it be would two be dedicated to linear and two dedicated to multi-directional speed, 
um, or like do you like to coach a little bit of 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 this of a multi-directional linear component every day, or how how would that look? Yeah. So I, listen, I, I use I use uh, primary and secondary movements. So for example, you give me four days to work with an athlete, I'm going to have two primary linear days and two primary secondary days. Yeah. But on the primary linear days, there's going to be secondary um, lateral. Oh, and very good. Yeah, very good. And just and here's why. If it, to me, and I've I've um, I've heard this for years, and I can't remember. I think it might have been Dan John who kind of made this comment a long time ago. He said, "If it's important to do, find a way to get it in every day." Yeah, he got it from Dan. He got it from Dan Gable. That's who he got it from. Dan Gable. Yeah, there you go. And and the approach that I use as a coach, like as a basketball coach, is always that. You know, I mean, I'm, if I if I something really important, I'm going to get it in there every day. So with the multi-directional speed, I'm going to make sure whether it's in the warm-up or the primary or the secondary, I'm going to hit pretty much the, the, you know, the major movements that I want to have an athlete do anyway. We're going to try to hit those every single day we train. It's just that I might focus greater and have more of my volume in a particular area. And then just kind of, you know, make sure we review so the athlete gets some touches on his these um, important movements, but then the next time, I, I flip it. I flip it around, so now my primary movement becomes more of the lateral, as where the other day it was linear. So that kind of gives me a chance to keep coaching the movements that I really think they should have. Really, really good. And just uh, like on, so yeah, you have a primary and, and a secondary, and I suppose then, like. Do you then, Lee? I know you kind of said there. You know, if you're doing shuffle, one would it be like shuffle emphasis one day, and then directional step one day, and then crossover step the other day? Is that how you like? Do you like to fill those buckets, or you know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So if um, again, let, let, and, and a lot of it's going to be off with the athletes have shown me, but let's say I need to work on just force production. So I got to get my athletes. Maybe it's a goalie or. A, an athlete that just has to move laterally quicker. they got to get there better. I'm going to put an emphasis on that force production. We're going to really work hard on that. Yeah. But then the next time, I might say, now we got to work on being able to open that hip up and get into uh, linear acceleration. So then we're going to focus on um, like, the, yeah, the directional stress yeah. Yeah, component. But then we may say, okay, now we got to take that mass and momentum we got to change directions with. So I want to work on in a, in a really hard expression of a lateral push-off into a directional uh, step, but then we're going to change direction. So now it becomes, what it ends up being is a, an explosive crossover into coming back the other way, controlling that mass and momentum. So so we can just kind of take those, those pieces and put it into a whole movement, and now we've got our training. Because, you know, like, like anything, it's kind of, you know, say currently where I'm at right now in this very moment time I have a certain paradigm in my head so whenever I'm interviewing or coaching I'm trying to like you know because it's kind of like when I ask you a question I'm asking you based off my current sort of if you like quote unquote belief system even though like you know for me personally my belief system is very flexible and changing all the time because obviously life is all about growth and development so when I ask a question like I'm hoping that it's not kind of you know you don't want it's it's you're kind of trying to say it in a way that you can sort of see where your paradigm is at. So like I'm trying to say, you know, yeah, I, I do like two linear, two multi, but you do this primary secondary, which I don't do, which I find very good. So now it's made me think about doing that. 
um and like just kind of like how how in your mind like do you map out your programs and like do you have these certain buckets like the, the other thing i see you talking about is you seem to kind of have this sort of idea of like a force emphasis versus like a movement emphasis versus like a change of direction emphasis which i haven't seen from someone else is that another way you look at things then lee you were talking about the goalie there like is in like if it really kind of focuses on force more so than maybe opening up the hip or yeah yeah exactly that's exactly right and here's Here's another kind of just thing to throw in there. Um, I'm a very big love tag, love tag games or sports games. So, for example, if if I want to work on maybe that force production laterally, I have tag games that I can use that make the athletes emphasize those things because it's coming out of this reactive environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get to actually coach what I want to coach and see what the athletes are showing me but it, but they're reacting to the to the moment yeah. and there's, there's where the power is in doing it that way so I'm still working on my lateral movement but because the athletes are competing they're giving me their very best because it's competitive and I really get to see where I need to go so let's say we did this lateral tag game and the athletes stumbled a couple times and they got their feet mixed up now I can simply say okay Let's slow down. Let's do a few reps of this lateral push-up. We're going to resist you so you get a little more feedback. And yes. Where I want the force. Then we go right back into the tag game, and it's amazing how quickly it rewires their system, and it fixes a lot of the problem. It was because I did the reactive stuff first, and they showed me. And then the next day, Robbie, we might do a similar maybe chase game, but it's all linear now. Now I'm, yeah. trying, I'm trying to beat you to the cone, and, and I kept stumbling, so... I'm going to break my, maybe my start wasn't very good or my setup wasn't good, and then we go right back into racing again. And then it's just amazing how quick my athletes will accelerate the learning process from that approach. Yeah, so to, to kind of summarize that, that whole thing is that most coaches go from this sort of planned, blocked, uh, blocked learning method, model to sort of more reactive and... Um, What's a random model whereas you're kind of saying no I go straight into reactive and random because it'll show me my athletes weaknesses and deficits and then from there allow me then to focus in on that take them out then maybe isolate the weakness a little bit and then put them back into that random environment and now the, and now integrate that into into the into the reactive random environment and now they start to learn and feel that more through that kind of more subconscious learning systems would that be a fair summary Exactly. That's that's spot on. And, and if we look at the three major components of tr- training that we do, we have our multidirectional speed or agility, we have our strength training and our conditioning. Mm. The strength training and conditioning are much more blocked, right? We're yeah, going to do yeah. things where I'm going to say, okay, I've got five sets of three on my Olympic lift, or I've got you know two sets of, of six reps of um, doing 30-second bouts on this conditioning or metabolic training. Those are very controlled. I can do that because those are different than reactive movement. As with the agility, the athlete's going to feed me more than I'm going to feed them, and I'm just going to fill in the hole. And because because their their innate ability to move is so um, um, it's, well, it's natural. It's what they do. I'm just going to put them in the environment. And I'm going to see how they do it, and then I'm going to fill in the fill in the holes to fix um, fix it with some a little bit more maybe blocked or slowed down approach. I'm going to go right back to that reactionary uh, random approach. Yeah, yeah. So just I have two more points, then, and let you go. So 
an interesting thing that comes to my mind there is, uh, you know, I'd say there there's a big correlation. I don't know if you know about this, then about sort of maybe like certain characteristics and personality traits of an individual versus their multi-directional speed capacity. So just thinking again to like all the athletes I've coached, the athletes that are kind of a little more, you know, the right word would be like kind of like you know you're more rugged rough kind of tough guys they're a little more they're a little more survival brained they always seem to be great movers in the pitch you know what i mean whereas you're a little more like you know methodical engineer type brain guys they never seem to move as well on the pitch you know like still good players good leadership qualities on off the field but they weren't kind of like the little like warrior guys who seem to have these instinctive just brilliant center of gravity so i wonder if there is something there that obviously that's interlinked in terms of you know someone's actual overall kind of makeup in terms of their characteristics and personality and their their multi-directional speed and then the second thing i want to say is that everything you're saying brilliant makes sense this is, uh, this is i've totally enjoyed this whole conversation let's say though you, you you do use that reactive sort of environment first to see where weakness is at what are you doing then in terms of let's say you have 10 athletes and five have this issue and five have that issue are you going to run two separate drills at once or does that make sense like so what 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 if a group of values are showing completely different things how are you working that out in logistically yeah and that's a great question we talked about this this past weekend here's here's the thing that as a as a coach and this is where the art of coaching comes in versus the science the mm. science we, we kind of mix in but the art is what's gonna what is what's gonna get you through a, a group lesson so if I have a large team or a really large group of athletes where there's, um, you know, maybe 20-plus athletes, I am much more likely to do have everybody do the same thing. So I kind of do exercises where I know it's going to still challenge my higher-end end athlete, but it's going to be appropriate enough for the athlete that's a little bit more of a movement challenge. Yeah. But they're still going to be able to do it. But So everybody will kind of do the same thing. Now, I might talk to individual athletes a little bit different. Like I might say, all right, Robbie, come on, you can go a little harder because you get this. And I want to see you be a little more disciplined on your movement. As where somebody else, I might just kind of keep encouraging. You'll get it. It's coming. Now, if, if that group happens to be small enough, you said 10 athletes. If we took 10, and that's kind of a break-off, like 10 to 12, 8 to 12, if it's small enough where I can say, okay, we have an A group and a B group now, then I can start to say, the A group, you're going to stick to this little more advanced reactive drill, and, and um, you know, you've got to be a little more strict with them, as where the B group, we're going to break you down a little bit more, and I only want you emphasizing the propulsion component of this drill, just pushing, get that down first, and then we'll feed you back into the to the whole randomized uh, reactive drill that the group A is doing. So yeah, yeah, it yeah. comes down to, can I manage, if I can't, let me say it this way, if I can't manage doing two different things because the groups are so large, then I'm going to do a middle-of-the-road exercise where both my higher level and my lower level can still benefit a lot from it. Yeah. But if if it's small enough where I can break you off into two groups, that's when I can say, okay, now I've got an A group and a B group, and the goal is to get all the Bs up into the A group and break them down that way. So if that makes sense, that's kind of how you do it, but it just depends on what you're comfortable with handling. I'm pretty comfortable with large groups because I've done it for so long, but if somebody isn't, 
then I would give them that first strategy I talked about where they just kind of do an exercise where everybody benefits from it. Brilliant stuff. Lee, I'm just going to wrap up here now. Um, just in terms of uh, some advice and some resources for all the coaches listening. So in terms of advice, we'll start with that first. What would be your, your top advice to anyone listening? And it can, yeah, be, well, uh, it can be anything now, not even training, life advice, nutrition, wellness, whatever. Oh, oh great. I, I, it, probably my number one thing is, is don't stop reaching out to people and networking with people because here's the thing when you do that. When you start reaching out to um, other professionals or, or like I said, it may, be, it may be somebody that runs a really good business and it could be, it could be unrelated to yours. Like I've actually talked to people that have run like dentist offices or chiropractic offices and they're just phenomenal at running business. I'll reach out to them and say, How do you, what do you do? Like what's your strategy for business? And that helps me a lot in my area. Yeah. But I would do that if I'm a young strength coach, up and coming, or a performance coach. Mm. I'm going to reach out to as many people as I can because that networking not only gets you connected with people, but you just learn different philosophies, and that can help feed your own philosophy. So I just think reaching out networking is probably the biggest mistake that I see young people don't do. They mm. just stay in their own little room, and they stay right there. They don't get out. I think they got to make sure that they research, or not research, but reach out and try to network as much as possible because that's how we grow. Yeah, brilliant. And then your your top resources, and again, just like with the advice, doesn't have to be a training resource. Can be can be anything. It could be a spiritual thing, uh, again, nutritional thing, a health thing, a life thing. What would be your top resources? And again, it could be a book, a person, a place, a podcast, an audio book. You know, whatever. Yeah, that you know, and that one is always a tough one for me because I get asked this a lot, and and I think reaching out to really good people like you know again like I think mean, Mike Boyle does a great job. I think you know we mentioned Dan John, and I think Exos, all those people, and and you know yourself. I just think you know I'm, I'm a huge fan of Mike uh, Mike Robinson, uh, the guys at IFAS, Mike Robinson and Bill, because they're 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 so research based and they're smart. Mm. So I think those are really good. But there's a but. And it's funny, I, I'm almost embarrassed because every time I, I you know, I've read the book four times and I can never remember the authors of it, I just have followed the book for so long. Um, but it's called The Power of Focus. And it's a resource that, again, I think I've read it at least four times. And it's a book that allows, um, it allows the reader to learn strategies to help develop their, their day-to-day actions and, um, and then their long-term um, actions that they're going to do and I think that that resource, um, again it's, it's called the power of focus I just think it, it, it helped me a lot over the years in many areas, it helped me to learn how to how to actually get my focus where it needs to be because I think that's a lot of problems, there's so much information out there we don't focus really well, we're kind of like jumping around from one thing to the next versus let's get really good in this one little area and then we'll move on to the next one. We come, we come a little bit stronger learners that way. So, um, and again, I, it, it's amazing, Robbie. You asked me that, and I, I always forget the name of the authors of it. But the book itself is the power of focusing. It's a really, really good book. So the the, the the first few times you mentioned the name, right as you said the word focus, you kind of cut out. So I can imagine the listeners like, what was the name of the book? So the power of focus. Yes, power yeah, of focus. Power of yep. focus. So that's brilliant. Uh, Lee, that, that's all my questions for you. The, the one question, though, like the one last thing I want to say is, you remember your athletic speed formula? Yeah. 
Do you still sell that? Do you still sell that product? Well, that product, what that was, was that was where um, um, people came and they attended. They were with me for three days. But that no, was, it's the reason. The reason I asked, I I have you videotaped it. I I have all the DVDs in the book, but uh. Because it was brilliant, it was amazing, and I keep telling people that oh, I should try and get that as well if it's groundbreaking speed too. But I don't know if you sell it anymore. Oh, you know what? That's a good question. I'll have to ask uh, Jen, who does all my stuff. Because <laughs> like I'm it's a- it's like fifteen hours of material. It's unbelievable. It's a lot of stuff. That was a very very in depth coaching group, and when we filmed it, it did. It had a lot of stuff and a lot of breakdown of the actual. Uh, um, groups that we had in the teaching. So what was what was good with it was I had the individuals that attended had to actually teach athletes that I brought in, and yeah. then we kind of would debrief over that, and that's where the learning took place. So so that's a good question, Robbie. You would think I would know what I'm selling, but <laughs> oh, listen, it's it's the same with uh, like uh, I'm, I'm good friends with Mike Boyle, so I'm always like, hey Mike, uh, do you have any more of these? DVDs? And he's like, what? So he's like, did I make a DVD? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, he's just like, okay. <laughs> you kind of lose, you kind of lose track of it all. But Lee, that's that's it. That's all my questions. Is there anything else you'd like to, you know, uh, wrap up on, or, or any any new projects on the horizon that you want to tell people about? And, and obviously, where can people find out more about you? And of course, that'll all be in the show notes. So, well, first of all, thanks for you know taking the time with me this morning. I know we've been trying to connect for a while, and I, I I'm always uh, always enjoying speaking with you. Um, but if, if people go to leetath.com, they can usually find information, or at least they can reach out to us to learn other things. And um, one of the things that I'm working on uh, coming up is, is um, you, know, uh, you know, kind of a project online where people can become, for, uh, become like a member of, of uh, you know, like online training. And I haven't figured out the way that I want to do it completely yet, but I want it to be resourceful enough so that athletes and coaches can both join and and be able to kind of follow along on a, a week-to-week basis how I do my training, and they can implement it themselves. So that's the next project I want to do. And the reason I'm doing it is because of people asking me. And that's most of the products I do are because I get a lot of questions that say, hey, why don't you do this? And then if enough of people ask, then that's why I do it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, there seems to be enough uh, demand. Brilliant. Mr. Lee Taft, Coach Lee Taft, it's been an absolute pleasure. Just, Lee, stay on for an extra few seconds afterwards before I wrap it up and we'll, we'll say our goodbyes offline. So, guys, what a brilliant... That was actually one of my favourite interviews. It really, like... Not, not, not that I didn't think it was going to be brilliant anyway, but really, really good. So... An absolute pleasure. Thanks so much, Lee, for taking the time out. For those who are listening, please go to iTunes and leave reviews because that, that stuff really does help. And make sure you check out upmentorship.com. that also help support the podcast. So, guys, from me and from Lee, that's it from today. So I'll talk to you soon. Take care and stay strong. <laughs>